you know, every year coming into Christmas, it's how do we, how do we get beyond um, the, familiar, uh, the familiar story in a way that we see Jesus in a new light. Jesus, to me, is like a diamond with many, many facets. No, long, no matter how long I know Him, there's always a new twist that, that some light will expose something new about Him, something that magnifies who He is. And, and this time of year especially, it, it's easy to fall into the ruts of just the, the gospel narratives, as, as full of meaning as they are, but because they're so familiar to us, to, to really miss what the Lord wants us to see about Jesus in all His glory. So I want to come at um, the incarnation. I want to come at the coming of Jesus Christ in a little bit of a different way for these weeks leading up to Christmas. Maybe you've, you've heard of this being done before, maybe not, but I want to come at Jesus through the Christmas carols. Uh, now, a couple things I need to say right up front. There is a difference between a Christmas carol and a Christmas song, all right? Carol is another word for hymn. A hymn is, is a song of praise to the Lord Jesus or to, to God. But there are Christmas songs that you know that you may associate as Christmas carols that aren't that, all right? So if it has anything to do with a snowman or a man in a red suit or chestnuts over an open fire or usually holly or anything like that, that's a Christmas song, and that's fine. You can sing that, but that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about a Christmas hymn, a Christmas carol, a Christmas hymn that points to Jesus Christ, that helps us see him more clearly because we sing it, if we sing it knowing what we mean. Now, the other, the other thing I need to say right up front is Christmas carols, Christmas hymns, they're not Scripture. They don't have the same authority. They're not inspired like Scripture is. But the best Christmas carols, the best Christmas hymns are soaked in Scripture. They come out of Scripture. And so we're going to use the Christmas carols, the Christmas hymns of these next couple weeks. We're going to use those more as like the skeleton, the, that, that, that the flesh of the gospel, the flesh of who Jesus is hangs on. And that's really what we want to see. We want to get beyond the holiday trappings that normally we associate with these Christmas songs, Christmas carols, and we want to see Jesus in a clearer light than before. We want to get beyond all the associations we may have with these hymns, and we want to hear the gospel. We want to hear how it is that Jesus came to save us in maybe a fresh way. We're going to begin this week with the oldest Christmas hymn that I'm familiar, that I, at least as far as my knowledge, this is the oldest Christmas hymn that's known, that we know of. It's one maybe you don't sing all that often, but you probably have heard it often enough that you know it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. This is uh, not only the oldest Christmas carol, this is probably one of the oldest Christian hymns that is still sung today. And it comes all the way back from the 8th century. So during the reign of Charlemagne in France, during the, the end of the 8th century, the early into the 9th century, that's, that's when this hymn came about. And if you can imagine, that's the Dark Ages. The Roman Empire has fallen so there is no real access to, uh, to books. There's certainly very limited access to Bibles. And even if you had access to a Bible, during that time you were probably illiterate, as most people were, so you didn't know how to read the, the, the Bible. How is it then in those conditions that the church 
try to put out the truth of who Jesus really is, this Christ coming at Christmas. Well, they did it in many ways, but one way that you may be familiar with is the monks, the Benedictine monks, came up with these Gregorian chants. They took truths from Scripture about God, about Jesus. They set them to music with kind of a, I don't know if beat is the right word, but at least with a rhythm to it. So as you heard it, it would stick with you. Think of the most annoying television commercial that you can ever think of. This is probably a little before your time, but freecreditreport.com is the one that still all these years sticks in my head. It's the same idea, only positive. Take a truth that you want to remember, set it to some music, set it to a rhythm that it'll stay with you, and you have the ability to perpetuate truth. You have the ability to keep truth alive. That's what was going on here with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. These were, like I say, Benedictine monks. So uh, it, was, it was first written and, and chanted in Latin. And um, we're only going to look at the Latin just enough so you can see where the terms came from of what we sing. Although I think Tim's going to sing in Latin at the end there. We'll see if that works out for him. But um, it was translated finally in English in 1851. So the words that we sing, the words we're actually going to sing of the couple verses that we sing at the end were translated by an Anglican minister by the name of John Neal in 1851. I I could sum up the whole hymn like this. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ in some, but not all, of his facets, of his aspects? This hymn, this Gregorian chant, gives gives us seven aspects of Jesus Christ. And each one begins, each verse begins with O, and then a title of Christ, a title of Christ that comes from the Old Testament. Some of these you may be familiar with, some of them you may not be familiar with. It's actually the ones that that you're not familiar with that I'm most hopeful for, because maybe that is, like for you this Christmas season, the turning of a diamond where you're going to see something new about Jesus Christ that as long as you've known Him, you've never seen before. And it's going to magnify Jesus even more in your mind and your heart. Let me give you just very briefly the Latin. The only reason I do so is some of the versions that are sung today have different wording. I want you to see where it originally came from. The first verse, O Emmanuel, uh, that, that is really God with us, as we'll see. The second verse, O Sapentia, is, that's the Latin word for wisdom. We'll see Christ as wisdom. O Adonai, Lord of might. O Radix Jesse, Radix is root, root of Jesse. We'll see what that means. O Clavis David, key of David. We'll see how significant that one is for you and for me today. O Oreans, O rising sun or day spring. There's a vivid image there that really has been very meaningful to me. O Rex Gentium, king of the nations. We'll see the meaning in that. So as you, as you sing this song with some understanding, which I hope you'll have at the end of our time here today, what you really are doing is you know a little bit more Christology, who Jesus Christ is. You know a little bit more soteriology, his saving work, what it is that he came to do as he saved us as a result of singing. And that's, that's uh, the main value of this hymn. I've got limited time. There's seven verses. I'm going to just speed right through one right after the other. The first one is probably the verse you know, O Emmanuel. 
O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Emmanuel is a, is a word that El, the, end, the ending of that is the Hebrew word for God, and you add on the first part, it means God with us. Where does that come from? It's what the prophet Isaiah said about this one who is going to come this first Christmas, this coming King, Jesus the Christ. Centuries before Jesus ever came that first Christmas, this is something in Isaiah 7.14 that God, through Isaiah, promised to the kingdom of Israel. At that time, the kingdom of Israel was in great danger. King Ahaz was the king who had descended from David, but the kingdom was surrounded by the nation of Syria. Syria, much like today, was threatening to wipe Israel off the map, to take it over, to to extinguish the Davidic line of, of kings. But God promises, God promises through this prophecy of Isaiah that not only are they going to survive this, but that line of Davidic kings will continue. It will continue for this specific reason. God is going to send His Savior. God is going to send His Messiah through this line of Davidic kings. Jesus, born of the house of David, God was going to accomplish that. And for this reason, He gives this promise, Isaiah 7.14, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Ahaz, King Ahaz didn't live to see the fulfillment of this, but God extended the line of David that came from Ahaz up to the point of bringing Jesus onto the scene. And that's why as the Gospel of Matthew opens with what you traditionally probably know as the account of Christmas, Matthew comes back to this verse. Matthew 1, verse 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And he goes on to quote that prophecy. The Lord Himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel. Matthew, for those of us who, who are the readers of Matthew, Matthew brings that into focus for us. Who is this Emmanuel? Who is this God with us? It's this one, the one that Mary will give birth to, a son that is named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. How does this apply to us? You know, you're in my situation. It is not much different than the situation of the people of Israel when they went into exile. We're born into spiritual exile. We're born separated from the God who wants to be with us. We're born with a nature that says, I want to run life my own way without God. And if that's okay with God, He can stand in the back while I do that. If that's not okay with God, He needs to get out of my way. Some of you say that a little nicer than that, but that's initially what is our, our human nature that we're all born with. We want to control our lives. We run, want to run life our own way without God. And that exiles us. That separates us from the God who wants to be with us. And just like the Israelites in exile were enslaved, we're enslaved. Now, we don't often recognize it as enslavement, but the very desires, the very urges, the very lusts that, that, that we spend so much of our energy and time trying to satisfy, Scripture says we're actually enslaved to them, that they actually have a hold on us 
that we can't break. And we see all around us, and some of us have seen in the course of our lives, we, we see the chains and what they do when we're enslaved to our desires and our lusts. God came in the form of a man, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus born in Bethlehem, to free us from that slavery. God came in the form of a man to lead us out of that exile, to be our Emmanuel, to be God with us. So when we sing that first verse, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we're not just putting ourselves in the place of those Israelites in exile. We're thinking back, if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we're thinking back to that place when we were still held prisoner by our sins and how He came and set us free. Or if you don't know Jesus this morning, it can be a song of longing for you. I want to know you. I want to know what it is to have God with me, setting me free, bringing me out of exile. For the sake of time, i got to move through these verses a little quicker. Second verse, O sapientia, wisdom. Christ is introduced to us here as wisdom. Wisdom, as the line says, from on high. O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not the sum total of everything you know, of everything that you have learned. Wisdom is not a measure of your IQ and how intelligent you are. In fact, people who are highly educated can really lack wisdom. People who have a very high IQ can be what the Bible calls a fool. Again, lacking wisdom. So wisdom is not a measure of knowledge or intelligence. Wisdom is fundamentally the understanding of what the purpose of your life is. What is it you're made for? What are you designed for? How are you to live in light of the truth of what you were made for and what the purpose of your life is for? How do we know that? We know that because wisdom comes to us from on high, as the song says, from the God who made us, from the God who designs us. And so the Bible teaches that, that God reveals this wisdom from on high most fully in Jesus Christ. We see this even in the Old Testament. All of this song is rooted in the Old Testament but points to the New Testament. Here this verse is rooted, I believe, in Proverbs chapter 8. Jesus isn't mentioned by name in Proverbs chapter 8, but, but listen to what this, verse, what this chapter says. Verse 12 I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. There's a personification of wisdom here. Who is the fullest personification of wisdom? That's the question we're to ask as we read Proverbs 8. Verse 23, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning before the world began. Who does that description fit? Who has been here eternally? Who is there at creation, active in our creation? Verse 35, whoever finds me finds life Whoever rece and receives favor from the Lord. Who is it that if we find life in Him, if we find how He defines the purpose of our life and what it means to live in the light of that, who is that? It's Jesus, even though the name is not yet on it in Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 36, the one who does not find me brings harm to himself, and all who hate me love death. Who is it that if we reject him and turn away from him, we turn away from life as we were meant 
to live it, that we live contrary to our design and purpose. Again, this is pointing us to Jesus. This is preparing us for Jesus as the ultimate personification of wisdom. So Jesus is the wisdom from on high that this hymn verse prepares us for. He is the one who shows us the path of knowledge, as the song says, and teaches us in its ways to go. He teaches us what is true. He teaches us how to live in light of that truth. He is, as Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.24, Jesus is the wisdom of God. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. He is the one that we get our definition of why we're here and what we're here for and how it is to live in light of that truth from. Jesus is the wisdom from on high. The third verse, O Adonai. You may have heard that term before. That's, that's a Greek version of an Old Testament term that means, O mighty, glorious Lord. Where did that come from? Let, let me read the verse of the song first. O come, O come, great Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty in awe. Where was it that we see this scene of Sinai and the tribes and the giving of the law? In Exodus, God has brought His people out of Egypt. God is taking them through the wilderness. They are camped around Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 24, we read what that scene looks like. Moses went up on the mountain and a cloud covers it. Actually, the surrounding verses talk about there is fire and there is cloud. It is so mighty, it is so glorious that the people don't want to go anywhere near it. They fear that revelation of God and His might and glory. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Adonai is God in His glory. Adonai is God making all His might, the sovereign power of God, making that visible. And as God does that in the Old Testament, people fear it. People don't want to approach it. But in the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God makes Himself in all of His might and all of His glory approachable. We no longer have to fear approaching God now that Christ has come. Jesus reveals God's glory and power to us in a way that we can comprehend. We read in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This illustration may at first seem like it has nothing to do with this point, but walking into my office here from the parking lot every day, I take the same sidewalk. On one side of the sidewalk, I noticed there was an, an anthill, an active anthill, but I noticed a stream of ants going across the sidewalk to the other side and a small anthill beginning there. These ants, for reasons that I don't know how to explain, were moving their entire colony from one side of the sidewalk to the other. You could see the steady stream of ants carrying eggs and, and everything from one side and one pile to an anthill, a new developing anthill on the other side. The only problem was, on the other side is where the mowers come, you know, and one of the wheels of the mowers I knew was going to go right over that anthill. Well, I could try all I wanted to, to communicate to those ants that that's, a, that's not a wise place to build your, your anthill. You're going to be destroyed if you stay there. But of course, they're, they're not going to hear anything. They're not going to be able to comprehend me 
because of who I am and who they are. But of course, if I could become an ant in some way, I could come down in a way that they could comprehend and could understand and could communicate to them. That's, that's what God in all his glory did in Jesus Christ, knowing that we could not approach him in all his might and all his glory. He took on a form that we could comprehend. He took on the form of a man, of Jesus born in Bethlehem to come and to tell us the way that we can be saved, to come and tell us to flee from the wrath to come and how we can be saved from that wrath. The fourth verse, radix jesse. Radix is is Latin for root. And and again, this may seem like an obscure reference. You may wonder at first what, what this has to do with us today, but hang in there. The root of jesse refers to Jesse, the father of David, the greatest king known in Israel. Everyone wanted the line of David to to persevere, to continue. But there were points when Isaiah was living, when it looked like Israel's enemies had overrun Israel, that that that, that line of kings was going to come to an end. And that's where this verse comes from. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory over the grave. That's, that's drawn from Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah is looking at the situation of Israel overrun by their enemies. Picture, picture a scene of uh, maybe after a battle in the Vietnam War or a battle in Afghanistan or in the Korean War or World War II where a once beautiful forest has been devastated by shelling and by by napalm, and where once grew beautiful trees, now all there are is smoldering stumps. That in Isaiah 11 is what what Isaiah was looking at, seeing as the nation of Israel. This once great nation has been reduced to smoldering stumps. But in verse 1 of chapter 11, God gives him an image a shoot will come up from the stem or the root of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Think of those dead, smoldering stumps. And from the greatest of the stumps comes this green shoot that grows up in the middle of it. And as he watches, it becomes, as it grows up, not only a tree, but the mightiest tree, a tree that is greater than any tree that has ever grown there before. A tree that produces fruit like it has never been produced before. That's the image that God gives through Isaiah to the nation of Israel. He's not done with Israel, he's saying. He keeps his covenant promises. And he sent Jesus Christ, who they didn't know to name at that time, he sent him as the fulfillment of that promise. Not just another king, but the Messiah king, the greatest king, the stem, the root of Jesse. He would come from that line of David, and he is the branch, the new tree that is mightier than any tree that has ever gone before it. Again, is this just for Israel? Is this just for Jewish people? No, ultimately, this is a promise for you and for me even today. We know that because this is the same verse the Apostle Paul uses when he teaches who Jesus is to Gentiles, to you and me, non-Jews, in Romans 15.12, he references that same Isaiah 11 passage. Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. 
You and I, unless you know you're here today and you have Jewish uh, roots that I don't know about, you and I are Gentiles. Are we excluded from all the promises that God says He will never break? No, he, we are included right here through Jesus being the root of Jesse, through Jesus being the extension of the Davidic line. In Jesus, we have the hope of being included in the people of God and in His coming kingdom. In Jesus, the God of hope fills us with all joy and peace and believing. We can trust in Him because He is the root of Jesse. The fifth verse is also another verse that that may seem a little obscure at first, but hang with me just a moment here. O Clavis David. Clavis is the Latin word for key. Where is it in the Bible? Where is it in the Old Testament that we hear first hear this reference of the key of David? It's it's actually again in Isaiah where most of the references from this hymn come from. Isaiah 22. And that place in Israel's history, there's no apparent heir of the king of David. And so someone who's not of David's line, someone who's not a king, who's, who's standing in as a steward, Eliakim, is the one that God raises up. And God says this about Eliakim. He promises to give Eliakim the key of the house of David. That's a symbol of the authority that God has given this righteous man. That's the authority to make binding decisions in the name of the king, binding decisions over the kingdom. So this image, the key of David, it's authority. It's authority, as, as it says there in Isaiah 22, to open and to shut. To open the kingdom to those it should be open to, to shut the kingdom, to bar entry to those that it should be shut to. That same image is not only an image that Jesus fulfills, but that's an image that speaks to you and to me. Who is it that opens what no one can, can open and who shuts what no one who shuts? Who is it who opens to us and what He opens no one can shut to us? Well, we're given a glimpse of that in Revelation chapter 3. There as John is given that mighty vision, he, he sees the worship around the throne and he hears the words, the words of the Holy One, the True One, that's Jesus that he's hearing, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Of course what's happening in Isaiah points to Jesus. Of course, who Jesus is fulfills what was promised back in the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. All of the New Testament shows us how Jesus exists and is fulfilled through those promises. Jesus here in Revelation 3, He is the only, He's presented as the only one, that, the only way that anyone can enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me make this very personal and very direct to you this morning. You may be here visiting or you may have attended here a long time. That does not necessarily make you one who knows Jesus. But here's the offer to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you have not trusted in Him for what He has done for you on the cross, dealing with your sin that exiles you from God, if you have not yielded your life to Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven is shut to you. He is the one who shuts out anyone who does not know Him as Savior and Lord. It doesn't matter how good a person you think you are. It doesn't matter how moral you think you lead your life or how many good acts you do in the course of your life. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the door of the kingdom of heaven is shut to you. 
But the reverse is also true. If you come to Jesus as Savior, if you trust in what He has done for you to deal with your sin at the cross, if you yielded your life to Him as the Lord that He is, He opens the kingdom of heaven to you. And as you come into the kingdom of heaven, no one can shut you out. What He opens, no one can shut. That's the the Jesus who is revealed as the key of David in the fifth verse of this psalm. The sixth verse, O Oreans. Oreans is, is the word for rising sun, or if you like the King James Version, which kind of makes its transfer into this, this Christmas carol, this Christmas hymn, dayspring. When you, when you see the word dayspring, that's rising sun. What's the image that comes to you when you think of the rising sun in the darkness? I grew up in Colorado, and my father took me hunting every year, including when I was too young to appreciate it. And I remember, in those, particularly in those younger years, I remember him waking me up you know, way early in the morning, 4 a.m. or something like that. It's dark out. It's cold out. And we would go and we would hike into that darkness up into the mountains to our stand. And there I am left at my stand, shivering in the dark. I didn't care at that point if I ever saw a deer. All I wanted to see was the rising sun. I wanted to see the light. I wanted to see the heat of that sun. I wanted to feel the heat of that sun. That's the image. Israel at this point is in exile. Israel has, has, has really no hope. They, they want to see the, 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 they want to see the Messiah coming like they want to see the sun coming up in the darkness. And that's exactly the image, this image of the sun coming up in the darkness that Isaiah draws from in Isaiah 60 when he says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, and the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will see, be seen upon you. Darkness for you and me is spiritual ignorance. Darkness for you and me is spiritual error. It is evil. It is unrighteousness. It is wickedness. It is sin. It is any way that we turn away from the one true source of life, of light, that is God. So any time that we humanly try to live life our own way, determine our own way, what we're doing is we're walking in darkness. And in the midst of darkness, even if we don't fully appreciate it, all we find ultimately in darkness is anxiety, is confusion, is fear. We long for the light that Isaiah promised, whether we know it or not. We long for what Isaiah prophesied was coming that was ultimately fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Luke writes about it in his gospel account. This is, this is at the time that John the Baptist was going to be born and John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, is prophesying. He speaks to the coming of this incarnation of what Isaiah promised. Luke 1, beginning with verse 77, Jesus will give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God which by, and here's the term, the rising sun, or the King James Version says the day spring, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus the Messiah is your rising sun, is my rising sun. He is our day spring. He is the light of God's revelation of all that He is coming into the spiritual darkness of our lives. 
So as we look to Jesus and repentance and faith, he shines the light, like the sunrise into the darkness of our confusion, our anxiety, and our fear. Last verse, O Rex Gentium. Rex is Latin for king. Gentium is Latin for nations. Jesus is the king of the nations. O come, O king of nations, bind and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. You think about the words of that song and you know if you turn on the TV and you watch five minutes of news that that has not yet been fulfilled. We live in a world ripped apart by these sad divisions that we sing about here, by war, by terrorism, by persecution. We long for the, the, the one who can bring an end to that, who can bring justice and peace. And the Bible tells us there is one who's coming whose sole role it is to do that. That one is the Messiah. He is the one who will put an end to all divisions. He is the one who will reign over all the world as the King of Peace. And again, this verse comes out of the Old Testament where the prophets prophesy. Jeremiah chapter 10, No one is like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you, O King of the nations? That's how God is identified. That is how the coming Messiah is identified. Now, of course, you and I, we've not yet seen the realization of this, but the Bible tells us that this Messiah King who came in humility that first Christmas, he's coming again. And in his second coming, he's not coming in humility. He's not coming as a babe in a manger. He will come in all of his glory and all of his power. The Apostle John is given a glimpse of this in Revelation 15. Again, a scene at the throne where Jesus is worshipped in all of His glory. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. This church is the ultimate role of Jesus Christ. It's the role we've not yet seen yet. When He returns in His second coming, all nations, all peoples of the earth, whether they've ever believed in Him or not, will bow down before Him in submission and in worship. Maybe you've heard the worship song. It's, it's starting to age now. Come, now is the time to worship by Brian Dorkson. What's the key phrase in there? One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose Him now. What's the truth of that song? It's this scene. There is coming the day when everyone will bow before Him, when everyone will acknowledge who He really is. But true blessing is available now to those of us who bow to Him now, who embrace Him as Lord, who submit to Him as Lord now. Finally, the chorus. Yes, it's between each of these verses. I put it off till the end. The chorus, I think it makes it very personal to you and me. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee. Shall come to you. This God who is with us personally encounters each of us. And He does that during the Christmas season. He does that as we hear and sing Songs like this. 
Suddenly the Christology, who Jesus is, the soteriology, how he saves us, becomes very personal. And here's what I leave you with this morning. The greatest question before you this Christmas season, this this period that's so busy between Thanksgiving and Christmas, is not what you're going to get for everybody on your Christmas list. It's not what you're going to get from somebody. It's not what, whether you're going to get a Christmas bonus. It's not how you're going to accommodate all the relatives who are coming for Christmas. The greatest question is whether you know Jesus Christ, whether you know him as Emmanuel, God come to be with you, whether you know him as wisdom, God's revelation of, of your purpose of your life whether you know him as Adonai, great Lord, God's glory and power shining in your heart, whether you even know him, even if this was obscure to you, as the root of Jesse for God's hope for your inclusion in his kingdom, whether you know him as the key of David, the only one who can open heaven to you, what is shut to you apart from him, whether you know him as the rising sun, the day spring, the only one who can dispel your confusion, your anxiety, your fear, whether you know him as the king of nations, the one to whom every knee will one day bow. As you consider that, as you turn that diamond and see just seven of all of the facets of who Jesus is and what it is that he's come to do in your life, What is your response to him this morning? This morning we're going to close with, I think, at least two verses of that Christmas hymn, that Christmas carol. You can sing it like you've sung before, really not appreciating what the words mean, or you can sing it as your response this morning. You can sing it as your offering of worship to the Lord who is all of these things and so much more. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. We thank you, Lord Jesus for seeing you just uh, perhaps in a little more of your glory, a little more magnified than we have before through this old Christmas carol, this Christmas hymn. And we thank you that though it's not Scripture, it is so saturated with Scripture. We thank you that the Gospel shines through it. We thank you that though we are in darkness, though we are alienated from you, though we are in exile, you bring us out of that darkness. You bring us out of that exile. You come as God with us. You save us. You bring us into your kingdom. We embrace you in all of these things, Lord. Now as we sing, we sing this in worship to you. Great Lord. Amen. The altar is open. Please feel free to respond. Let's stand and sing.
about a spring come and cheer thy spirit by thine advent here disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death dark shadows put to fly Come. 